0: Hey everyone before we start i wanted to let you know if you would like to watch our whole service head to our website that's dc2.me and from the media drop down click sermons you can watch our whole service there and now here's this week's sermon
1: merry christmas Uh, Before we jump in to our sermon for today, uh, just wanted to highlight one more time, Um, this is a time of year where people do love to give, and if you as a family, either as you're closing out taxes or really as you're just going as an act of worship, uh, we're just looking for a place to give. Um, I'd love to remind you that this is a place that uh, hopefully has been a gift to you this year, but I mean for all the things, giving to Discovery, giving through Discovery, all those things. This is a place where you can worship with how you give as well. So with that, uh, let's jump in. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, you, You might be hearing that line on repeat a handful of times. You turn on your radio. Merry and jolly. These are all words that are associated with this time of year It's all good, it's all happy, my family's happy, everything's great, our tree was decorated on time, the lights were on our house and they're in a straight line and the wind has not assaulted them enough. There's just a sense sometimes, and I think one of the places where it can be the hardest to engage this is in the church or as a follower of Jesus, the sense of like, it's all okay, like it has to be joyful right now because that's what we do this time of year. And I think anyone with a pulse knows that that's not true. Um, I think this is a time of year that we're we're sometimes just trying to hold it together. Um, And some, I think, who have been following Jesus for a while, and I think a lot of times, too, people who have not been a part of the church, both of those two extremes of folks live in this beautiful tension of, it's okay to be a hot mess. It's okay for this time of year to have merry and jolly and most wonderful. It's also okay for things to not be okay. And um, we talk, if this is your first Sunday at Discovery, <laughs> know that this, this morning will look a little bit different than a lot of mornings um, that we do. And it's intentional, it's on purpose. But we wanted to create space for that today. And space where that mess can align itself with how do you worship in the midst of that? Light, this, this whole series that we've been in has been around this idea of light. Light would not be so profound to us if all there was was light. Light is profound to us because of the darkness. Darkness is what makes the light so desirable. So to appreciate the light, to understand hope and warmth and security, sometimes we have to be honest with the things that are driving us there. Sometimes to look into the darkness and to name what is there is one of the most worshipful, thoughtful, honest acts that you can have one thing I love about Christianity is that it's realistic. It's not trying to sell anything. One, one of my favorite quotes from the, a great theological masterpiece, The Princess Bride. There's a quote where Wesley says to his princess, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you differently is selling you something. And I love that, that the way that the Bible was written is honest and it's real. It doesn't disregard pain. It doesn't sidestep it. It doesn't try and shove it in a corner. It just looks at it straight in the face. And I also, before we get too much further in, just want to acknowledge that mental health is also a real thing and that there is a difference between the distinction of hard things happening in life and suffering happening in the world and chemicals in your physiological person not working correctly. And so as we go through today, if you're finding yourself in a season where maybe you've known this about yourself or maybe you're thinking, is there something going on in me like this? Is this going beyond just suffering in the world and inside of me? Uh, Know that we have a counseling wing here at Discovery that loves to help people connect with a counselor um, and with help that can help with that physiological side. But also that is different than just being a human being in the world that is dark. So, uh, if you're willing to take a risk with me today, um, I would love to invite you to do something that I haven't done in the last year with you. And that's this. Um, on your seats is a little note card and a golf pencil. Um, as a heads up, if you push too hard with that golf pencil, you're gonna run out of lead way faster than you want to. I, I hope that there's lots to write here for you. Um, but if you're a Christian, Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've come to church today, my assumption is that you've come here to worship. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you've come to church today, my assumption is that you're here to check things out. You're here to wonder about this Jesus. And what does this world of following Jesus look like? Regardless of where you're at coming in today in your spiritual journey, uh, go with me on this. I think this is a practice for every single one of us in the room. Also, if you're at home watching this, uh, go grab a sheet of paper and a pencil right now. If you're driving in your car, uh, pull over and you're going to want to write some things. Maybe wait until you get to a spot where you can really think. But uh, I have uh, have a gift um, to give you right now. It's three minutes. Uh, I'm going to give you three minutes. We're going to play a song. And here's what I want to invite you to do. Um, and for the rest of this sermon, I'll just have you engaging this question over and over again. What is the darkness around you? Um, you can do this any way you wish. For those of you that are journalers, you're already like, here we go. For those of you that are not, this is an opportunity. You can bullet point this. You can like full on uh, poetry and prose, this thing, however you want to do it. But it will be important that you take this next three minutes to go, what is it? Can you name it? So, We'll play a song at the end of this time. I'll just walk us through a couple prompts. We'll just see what you caught. Um, Full disclosure, as we get towards the end of our service today, um, I'm going to ask you to fold these and come put these up in these metal troughs that are at the front of the room. Um, Nobody will read them. We'll throw them away. When they're done, I'll burn them if you want me to burn them. But um, that's what we're going to do, okay? So there's darkness in the world, and there's darkness in you. Where do you see the darkness around We'll play the song, it's three minutes. Enjoy. keep writing if you're still writing. Uh, You might have written down some things about the world around you, the world outside of you. Maybe you wrote something down about the war in Ukraine or the wars happening in Somalia or Syria or Yemen or a number of other countries. Maybe you wrote something about human trafficking um, and, and how just disturbing it is that that happens not just in our world but like in our community Maybe you wrote something down about the tension of racial justice in our nation today and in the world, or of other broken and corrupt systems. Maybe you wrote something down just about the epidemic of mental health and how that affects homelessness, how that affects families, how that affects people. Maybe you wrote something about the sadness of school shootings that have happened. That's the world outside. I mean, there's so many more things, but the dark is just so dark. Maybe you wrote things that are more about the darkness around you that's also inside you. Maybe you wrote about the shame of addiction or things that you've done. Maybe you've written about your inability to be good on your own. Maybe it's the anger or the inability to forgive people in your life. What about your own physical sickness that you feel? Or Maybe you wrote about the loneliness, your despair that it's just getting harder to enjoy anything the older that you get. Maybe you wrote about sadness in your marriage. What about the struggle against enemies that you have in your life, human or otherwise? Did you write about those? What about death of friends or family this year? What about grief? I love that Christianity is realistic. It's not afraid to look at that and wonder about God. And wherever you're at, as you engage, I would just ask you, like keep your pencil in your hand. This is an act of worship that you're doing right now. And we will continue to do over about the next hour together. Perhaps one of my favorite reasons for why God or something like him must be out there is that we have this desire and this gut feeling that this isn't right that this darkness that we feel that you've written about, this is not as it should be. This darkness is ubiquitous, it's everywhere. But none of us have ever experienced a moment of pure, perfect peace and goodness. And yet our hearts long for that. You would think if it was just pure evolution, we crawled out of mud, that just how much darkness is out there, we would just be used to it. That's just normal. Like we should should exist in that space fine. And something in our human souls cries out and says, this isn't right. There must be something good and beautiful and true, but I can't find it. Where does that come from? It must be out there. So what do we do when we encounter despair? When the lights go out, or at least it feels like they are, Where do we go? If you brought your Bibles today, we're gonna be in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalms 13. And it's our only text for today. One thing I love about the Psalms is essentially you're just reading somebody else's journal. (laughs) It's a little weird and awesome because you get some insight into this person. Today it's, it's this man named David. And this Psalm is not an uncommon one. We didn't have to like search to find this one that's in the Bible. They're called Psalms of Lament and they're littered throughout this book of Psalms. Suffering is littered throughout the Bible. But this Psalm captures it in a way that's just so beautiful and simple. Let me read to you just the first four verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord. My God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death and my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. The Bible is instructive. It tells us what we can do, what we should do. So if that's true, what did we just learn? What are we supposed to do? When you encounter darkness, pretend it's not there. When you encounter darkness, just scoot right along the outside. Just shove it in a box and put it in the corner of your attic. No. When you encounter darkness, take it to the Lord. God's not so good that things that are bad cannot be there. Bring it to Him. Don't. When you say real things, Sometimes I think there's this fear of like, that presents conflict, like God will smite me if I say anything bad, if I like scream at him, yell at him, be frustrated with him. And the Psalms would instruct you, bring it. Bring all of it. God put this Psalm here. He wants you to know that it's okay, that he understands. Whatever it is that you've written, bring it to him. The agony finds its ultimate source not in you, but in bringing it to God. So we're gonna pull this apart just a little bit, but then I wanna keep us in this place of contemplation. David, his biggest complaint here seems to be that God has forgotten him. For sure, he's worried that it's permanent, like God will never remember him again. And he, he it's, it's apparent when we look at David, that he's worried he's gonna be in this place for a long time at least. One of the other concerns that he has, and and I think there's this disorientation that he's having, is God, in the presence of all this suffering, you're like all powerful, right? You can do whatever you want, I think. I mean, that's what I've been told. That's what I believe. If you're you're a God, you should be able to do something. But the fact that my enemies, the fact that this situation is so dark, I mean, it feels like it's more powerful than you. I mean, David's pointing, that like this is part of his, that's, that's like fighting words with God. You're supposed to be the powerful one, but this seems stronger than you. Fight me. Like, that's, these are strong words that he's saying. And he seems not to be too concerned about pulling a punch. He's interested in an honest conversation. It's important to know who the enemy was in this psalm. Yes, he feels like God has forgotten him, but David is concerned that this enemy now has the upper hand and he doesn't know how to do that. There's also kind of three layered problems that are in this psalm. There's a theological problem that we've just been talking about, this trouble with God. There seems to be a lack of evidence of God's attention and care in his life. Do you feel that? When you look at your list, when you look at the world around, when you look at the world within, do you just feel this lack of God's attention or care sometimes? So that's one layer of problem. The second layer is this personal problem, this problem that he has with himself, this idea that anxiety tortures the mind with painful questions. Do you feel that? When you look at your list, are there ways that this just sends you in cycles of anxiety and despair and grief? And then there's this third layer, this social problem, this, this problem with others, with this, these enemies that seem to be around. Do you feel that way? As you look at your list, is there, are there social issues that are involved, relational issues that are involved? Rarely will crisis only involve one of these things. When you see a problem in the world, the darkness, it seems to cause everything to fall apart. And I think it's because at the end of the day, like David, we're looking at it all going, God, I thought that the world worked this way, but it just seems like this darkness is so much more powerful. Culturally, for David too, he's saying a really big statement because this idea of having God look towards you, to look into your face, was not just a relational idea or metaphor. It was this idea of like, this is the source of life. And if he's looking at you That is a gift and a blessing and life itself. But as David's writing this, when you look at the literal language, how long will you hide your face from me, literally means you have turned all the way around. You won't even look at me and I'm dying. Do you care to turn around? Have you ever felt this? Do you feel this as you look at your list? God, turn around, give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. In light of this situation, it would be the most dangerous thing for faith to consent to isolation and to believe that the experience of this alienation, that this experience is all that there was or could be. But the Bible is instructive. It teaches us how to do things. So you also have to read the whole Psalm. We have to learn as we hold our cards, where now do I go with this? Where do I put this? What do I do with this? What am I supposed to be in light of all this? You can't just read part of the Psalm and then leave. You have to resonate with all of it. You have to pray it all. You have to cry it all. So as we finish the rest of the psalm, here's how it ends. And I want you to hear before we read it. This isn't like a nice neat bow of like a slap on the back, everything's gonna be okay. I don't think that's the tenor of what he's saying. He says this. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Okay, if we just follow the tense of what's going on, he's just said, major problems. I'm really struggling to the point of dying. But he says, I have trusted. That is a past tense thing. He is looking back over his story everything that God has done and been a part of in his life. And he's pointing at those things saying, I have trusted you before in the midst of darkness, in the midst of hardness, of despair and grief. I have trusted you before, but I trusted in your steadfast love and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Shall is a funny word too, because it's present and future tense. It's it's like this choice that he's making in the moment. Here is my despair and my grief and my terror. Here's my list, God. And I'm worried that I'm looking at the back of your head and that that's it for me. However, as I look back into my story, you haven't left me yet. So I'm gonna trust in that today. And I'm gonna trust that that's gonna get me through to tomorrow. There's such a simplicity in this. And then he finishes. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Regardless of if you're somebody who's been following Jesus, if, if looking back on your story, if you can see God's presence or if you're new to this, regardless, we all have a story and that story has led you here today. I think Jesus would be saying, look back on that. This prayer is based on the belief that the lives of those who belong to God matter to God. Do you feel that? Do you feel seen? Do you feel wanted by him? Do you feel invited into a conversation and that this conversation is always open no matter how hard the words need to be from you? God is so much a God of goodness and love and of saving lost things that when we encounter suffering and terror, we can begin to feel the lack of his presence and goodness there. But I think there's an invitation in this psalm his presence is just as much in this suffering as it is in this goodness. I had some friends a few years ago. Um, they weren't going to church here at the time, but uh, they'd just gone through a couple miscarriages, and it was it was brutal for them. And they they would show up at their church, and they would be with other other folks, and they just felt like everything has to be happy, like the songs have to be happy and the smile on your face has to be happy and everywhere we go has to be, like I can't worship in this grief and despair that I have because it's not allowable. We just wanna be somewhere where we can be a mess and angry and we want to be, and I, I love, like this has always stuck with me about them. I want to be somewhere where I can rage in worship. That's the text. That is the invitation. Whatever it is that you've written down, come and bring it in worship. Luther, Martin Luther, the great theologian, was doing his uh, synopsis on each psalm. And one thing he said about Psalm 13 is he says, this psalm addresses the state in which hope despairs and yet despair hopes at the same time. That's weird. Hope despairs. Yeah, it does. This is how you do it. When you have hope and are a person of hope, this is how you despair well. They are not mutually exclusive. They exist together. And if you are a person of despair, this is how despair hopes at the same time. Life is pain, Highness. But it is not only pain. Life is also hope, life is also a look backwards to hold on to what has happened, to look forward, to trust what can. This psalm is here to teach us how to pray, but it shows us who we are when we pray also. We are given our true identity as humans who stand on earth to speak to God who is present and who cares. And in these moments, agony and adoration are hung together by a cry for life. And that is the truth about us as a people of faith. We're not just one emotion or feeling or experience, we're two. These things exist synonymously. We are both anxious and fearful and dying people who cannot find God where we want God to be. And we are children of a God who knows who we are and he knows that he will save us, that we will be with Jesus and that this darkness is not all that there is, no matter how dark it gets. You can trust God. You can pray this prayer. And things may not get better for a long time. David was worried that it would last forever, but he also remembers, and in remembering, he looks ahead. Do you feel that? What has he done in your life? What has he done in the world? What has he done in his own story? Has he ever rescued before? Does he have a track record of bringing hope into dark places? Does he have anything good to offer to anyone? I think even if we only look at the big picture, there's a story that we all have in common and it starts in a manger. A light physically moving into a dark place a light that would eventually become the hope of every single person and was the desire of every single person before, a light that has not gone out, but it still shines. There was a kid in the early 400s AD, his name was Patrick, and Patrick lived on the coast of England. One day, a group of pirates raided his town. They took him as a slave and they sold him to a village in Ireland and he was enslaved there for a long time. Uh, Eventually, uh, he ran away, went back to England, became a Christian, and while he was there, just felt this extreme calling to be a missionary to Ireland. So Patrick goes back to Ireland and for years preaches. He gives the rest of his life there. But there was this holiday that just happened to fall on Easter. It was a Druid holiday and the king who reigned over this particular region, just there was this mandate, no fires could be lit. You couldn't even light a candle. No light was allowed at the ceremony. And this is Easter. And, And Patrick just couldn't stand for it as a missionary. He's like, people need to know that there is light in the darkness. So on that day, he woke up early and he went up on a hill, that hill was called Slain Hill, it's still there, he built this huge bonfire, and as the sun came over the horizon, he lit it. And as all the other people in these villages woke up and looked out their windows, they saw a defiance against the dark. It was not just their king. The actual physical darkness in the world, a beacon had been lit and that day he held a ceremony at the top of this hill just to tell them the easter story it was magnificent poetic it was gorgeous years later in the sixth century there was uh, a man his name was saint Forgail, and in the sixth century he wrote this poem called uh, rope to mobile which is ancient irish for uh, i see you alone and he was looking at saint patrick and this beacon that he'd lit on this hill and this whole poem talks about, I want the light to be the only thing that I focus on. And this poem is, is amazing and it got lost. <laughs> like, he wrote it and nobody heard about it for about a thousand years. In the year uh, 1905, a woman named Mary Byrne was at university in England and it like fell out of a book that she was flipping through. She just happened to know ancient Irish <laughs> and so translated it. And as she translates that poem, it blows up and becomes super famous all over the Western world. In 1912, it had reached a part of the world where Eleanor Hole lived. And Eleanor knew about slain. And the Irish had commemorated that moment where St. Patrick lit the fire with a melody, no words to it, just the melody of a song. And she knew that. And she knew that this poem had been written about that same event. She said, what if I could take that song and that poem and make one song out of those things? The purpose of this song was to say, in the midst of utter darkness, in a place where it has been ordered that no light should be lit, there ought to be something that brings light to the world. This song was written as a reminder of a defiance against the dark that goodness and truth and beauty and love are there, no matter how dark it gets. I don't know what you wrote on your card. I don't know what what you're still writing, but I do know this, when we look back on the story that God has been writing, no matter how dark and despairing things feel now, we should hope And as we celebrate this Christmas and the coming of this baby, I think there's great reason to believe it's real, and it's true, and it's good, and it's worth it. So here's what we're gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna invite Alex back up on stage, and she's got another gift for us today. Uh, We just have a special song. This is not a song that you need to feel like you can uh, have to sing to. You can stay seated in your seat and just enjoy it Uh, with the caveat that I would love for you to take your list and fold it. You can like half fold it, triple fold it, however you wanna do it. But as she plays and sings, um, there's something to having the darkness and feeling like this is the most real thing, I'm gonna hang on to it. And there's a difference between that and naming the darkness and seeing the darkness and then physically offering that darkness to God to say, would you do something about this? So if you're willing and able I would love to invite you as she's singing in the midst of the song, stand and bring your card and put it in one of these metal troughs that are up front. We'll do one final thing with them, but uh, as she finishes, if you can have those up here, that would be great.
0: Children play on Christmas Day and snow is flung. When I feel I haven't had a friend since I was young Oh,
1: I can't imagine as a dad putting my kid in a manger and like the darkness, all of it, taking him from a place where he was safe and things were good and setting him down in the midst of all of it. You are loved and you are fought for. And if you're in a spot where you're like, I just, I couldn't let go of it today I just want you to know that God bless you, it's okay. He's still waving you towards him kindly and gently, not forcefully, but there is liberation in trust. The hope, the light to our eyes is that God did not leave us. He did not abandon us and he came down. And where did he come to? The wonder of the nativity is that he came to a poor family, into a manger filled with straw and dirt, right smack dab into the middle of the darkness of our world. He engaged it fully. He was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. He lived fully aware of all of the darkness that you and I are aware of. He looked that same death in the face that you and I face. And he came into all of that to be with us. Emmanuel. So two things. First, he is with you in the darkness. He came into all of this because you're not forgotten. He's right here in it. All this muck and mire and darkness, he lives in this place too. He's not waiting for you on the outside of your suffering or waiting for you to get through it so you can be with him again. You do not need to escape where you are to feel his presence. He's right there. Hold still. Don't run away from him. And second, as he looked at it all, as he experienced it all, he walked in all suffering and grief straight into agony and death itself. And if this story is true, his story did not end there either. Not only did he rise beyond the darkness, but he turned around and he's waving you towards him to hope that something can exist beyond the dark, that death isn't the final word of every story, but that new life and light can still come despite the dark. That is what his story has always been about. I'm not sure what he'll do with the darkness, of the world that you experience. Certainly some of you will see light come into those situations this week or next week or shortly. And some of you will hold this and what will seem like forever, it's worth hoping. This speaks to this desire that's deep in each of us, this desire that knows fundamentally that love and goodness and truth and beauty are real. There are the most real things, more real than the darkness, and they're worth the risk to hope in. God bless you. Merry Christmas. May he not take the light from your eyes, but may you risk to hope in the good.